Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Jack Carr. Jack is a former Navy SEAL who has led special operation teams as a team leader, platoon commander, troop commander, and task unit commander. Jack retired from active duty in 2016 and lives with his wife and three children in Park City, Utah. He is the author of The Terminal List, True Believer, Savage Son, The Devil's Hand, In the Blood, and Only the Dead, his most recent novel, available now wherever books are sold. His debut novel, The Terminal List, was adapted into the number one Amazon Prime video series starring Chris Pratt. Jack, welcome back to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think we uh, it's been about a year since I saw you in person um, out at uh, the event in Austin. I think it was, it was it February last year, March, sometime in there. Yeah, it was. It was great to see you and have dinner and to catch up and so forth. Now, Jack, I just finished Only the Dead, and I got to say, I think it's your best work. Tell us about the story. Thank you so much. There's a couple of reviews that have been uh, dropping over the last week. Another one just came out this morning that uh, said the same thing. And you know, it's, it's always a relief to hear that because it's you know it's a subjective art form, obviously, um, because art by its very nature is subjective. And it's kind of like making a I don't know painting something for a year or maybe even five years or a, a sculpture, and then you have a bunch of people in the room, and then you like pull the tarp off or pull the sheet off. And you're always worried that there's going to be gasps of horror uh, from the audience. And it's kind of similar with the book. You get it out there and you just don't know, even though you put so much work into it. And so it's really nice to get those, uh, those, those reviews right out of the gate, which, are, uh, which all say that it's the best one yet, which is always my goal, is to do this one better than the last one, to do the next one better than this one, move the genre forward, even if it's just by degree. But uh, in this one in particular, all of my novels have a... Uh, theme that helps guide the writing process so that everything either directly or more importantly, indirectly comes back to that theme. Um, and this one is truth and consequences. The first one was revenge without constraint. Second one, true believer was a story of violent redemption. Um, but I like to have that theme as I start because it keeps me on track. And I think that's why there are very few content edits that have ever come back from my editors at Simon and Schuster, from my editor at Simon and Schuster, Emily Bessler. Um, usually, it's just something like, "Hey, can you expound on this here?" Or I think people that weren't in the military or intelligence services might need a little more in this paragraph, something like that. So the con, and I think that's all due to having that theme. But this one, truth and consequences, meaning that there have been a few different. Uh, Kind of supporting storylines that have been left up in the air in some of the past novels. And some I've been setting up and only people who are really paying attention will even notice. And then some are more obvious, like the end of the last book. Uh, so this one really ties up a lot of those storylines for everyone. Um, 
and uh, and I don't want to go into too much detail because I've been setting up. There's a safe deposit box that James Reese, my protagonist, that his father, who worked for what was this, first a SEAL in Vietnam and then worked for the CIA, um, left behind. Um, and his father was was killed years ago. But there's a safe deposit box he's been trying to track down. And in this book, he finally opens it. And I've been kind of setting up what's in there um, to uh, a little misdirection. So if people are paying attention, I think they believe that they know what's going to be in there. And it's not that. I would be shocked if anyone could guess <laughs> what's actually in that safe deposit box. So, um, so, it's, uh, so I'm super excited, but I don't want to give away too much. It ended up being my longest novel, 139,000 words. These novels typically come in just over 100,000, uh, maybe 110,000. Uh, but this one, it took 139,000. I never really, I don't get to 100,000 and then say, oh, deadline's looming. Time to wrap this up. I just want to put all my energy and effort into the story to make it the best it can possibly be. And in this case, it took 139,000 words, which also means that you can use it as a blunt impact weapon or a doorstop. <laughs> Well, Jack, you did a damn good job, and I was remiss uh, for not mentioning right off the bat that you're very kind to mention me and my book, uh, Beirut Rules, and your acknowledgments yet again. Always, always. That is amazing. Well, all your books are amazing, um, and I keep coming back to Beirut Rules just because that was such an impactful time in my life, in my youth, um, as I would see Time Magazine covers and Newsweek Magazine covers, uh, newspaper uh, headlines, uh, six o'clock evening news with my parents. Uh, it was just such an impactful time uh, for me as a kid, knowing that I was going to go into the military, not just into the military, but in special operations. And even at that young age, already studying terrorism and insurgencies and counterinsurgencies, um, special operations in general, uh, because I knew I was laying the groundwork for my future profession in special operations. So, uh, so coming back to Beirut rules, it just has a, it's uh, has a special place in my heart just because that was such an impactful time. And you shed so much light on what was actually going on there during the time. So even if I don't know it, uh, and, and don't specifically reference something from this book, it certainly is impacting all my novels, uh, in some way, shape or form, even if I don't realize it consciously as I'm writing. So thank you for writing this and uh, keeping this history alive. Well, you're very kind, my friend. Now, I've got a wrinkle for you, Jack, but I figure you're up for it uh, as a former SEAL. I took to Instagram and I asked my followers what questions they would like to hear from the legendary Jack Carr. So you ready to go? Uh, let's do it. I saw you posted that yesterday, so I was, I was a little concerned about what people were going were gonna to ask. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. The first one is, uh, when are you going to write your story? Or is James Reese your story? Ooh, that is a very good question. I don't think I'm ever going to write the, uh, you know, what I did in the SEAL teams, what I did in Iraq and Afghanistan, that sort of a thing. Um, just because so many people did so much more than I could ever have hoped to have done. Uh, those experiences certainly influence my writing more so from the perspective of tying in the feelings and emotions behind certain things I was involved in. So if my protagonist gets ambushed on the streets of Los Angeles, I just go back to remembering what it was like to be actually ambushed in Baghdad 2006. And I take those feelings and emotions and I weave them into a completely fictional narrative. So someone reading it says, wow, this, this seems real. And if it seems real, that's because the feelings are coming from a real place, right from my heart and soul, right onto that page. So, um, so I don't think I'll ever write mine, but I do have, um, 
I have, well, I had aspirations and now it's actually in the works to write nonfiction and to investigate some of those terrorist events that I mentioned earlier, uh, like the, the, uh, 1983 Beirut barracks bombing, TWA 847, Achille Laurel, Pan Am 103, uh, multiple, uh, terrorist attacks in Europe in cafes or nightclubs in the eighties. So I do have, uh, uh, I am interested in writing, keeping that history alive, uh, and I'm in the process of doing that right now with a historian and Pulitzer Prize finalist, James Scott. Um, we're working on a, a book on the 1983 Beirut barracks bombing. So uh, as far as the nonfiction side of the house goes, that's where I'll focus my efforts, um, uh, at least at least initially, but I don't think I'll ever write uh, my story. It's very therapeutic to weave certain elements of my past into the pages of these thrillers. And I find that's, uh, that, that's my lane. That's what I, I feel comfortable doing. And, uh, and it seems to be resonating. Well, no doubt. And of course, we had the 83 case file on my desk when I first started as a counterterrorism agent. So I'm greatly looking forward to that. Now, here's your second question. Do you begin with a title in mind or does it come to you once you get the book done? I do. I start with a title and a theme because I don't want to be wasting any bandwidth worried about a title as I'm writing. Uh, I don't want to think, oh, geez, I've done, uh, I've had great titles up to this point, And what if I can't think of one? Because that's bandwidth that's not going into making the story the best that it can possibly be. So I start with a story with a title, even if it's just a, uh, a working title and it's going to change. Um, but I still like to have that there as I'm as I start typing away. So I start with that. I start with the, uh, with that theme that I talked about. And then I turn that into a one page executive summary. And then I ask myself a question and I say, is this worth the next year and a half of my life? And if the answer is yes, then I read it again and say, if somebody was to walk by a Hudson news, let's say in the airport and grab this book off the shelf and read the cover jacket or the back cover of a paperback, would they be willing to invest time that they're never going to get back in this story? And if the answer is yes or probably, then that's it. That's I'm in. Um, and I turn that into my outline and then my outline into the narrative. Jack, how much time do you spend roughly on research versus writing? It changes because a lot of it comes up as I'm writing. Um, and unless I'm going someplace, like I went to Mozambique for uh, my second novel, True Believer, before I even had turned in my, uh, before I had any sort of a deal with uh, with a publisher or an agent or anything like that, because uh, I always knew I was gonna gonna write write two and see how <laughs> see how they did before I reevaluated my choices. Uh, and I went to Kamchatka Peninsula, Russia, for the for the third book. I really wanted to get to Israel for the last one, In the Blood, because there's a significant portion that takes place there. But with all the COVID restrictions, unless you were an Israeli citizen, it was very difficult to get in and out of Israel or to make plans to go at a certain time because the rules kept changing. So I didn't get to go, but I went deep down the rabbit hole there. And I think I did more research there than for any other book just because I couldn't put boots on the ground and I knew how important it was going to be. So I wrote it, I researched it, I wrote it, and then I sent it, that section, to a family in Israel and three generations read it. So someone in their 90s, someone in their 60s, someone in their 30s. And they all said they couldn't believe that I hadn't been there on the ground doing research um, after they read that part. And that's what I was, that's what I was looking for. So I don't think I have an exact ratio. I think it all depends on whatever it takes. Um, and I don't know if that, that may, my publisher doesn't tell me they're frustrated with that sort of a thing, but for me, it's all about the story and I'm not as concerned with deadlines. I just want to make sure because, because people are trusting me with their time. They're never getting that time back. And that's something I take extremely seriously. So however long it takes is how long it takes, uh, and however long that research takes, 
that's going to be how much it takes. It's not like I get to a certain point and say, oh, now it's time to stop the research and write, or I get to a certain point, oh, I'm in part three, I haven't done enough research on this, I got to go do research for a week and then get back to writing. No, it's much more organic than that. And uh, sometimes it takes just a, a few minutes to look something up, and other times it's going to take a full-on day, multiple days, um, going back, checking things, checking with other people to confirm getting other perspectives. So um, uh, depending on whose perspective I'm writing from in the novel, is it a Russian person? Is it a United States person? Is it a good guy? Is it a bad guy? What ex what's their life experience? Just to make sure that it's true to that character. So um, so a lot goes into it, but I don't ever set some sort of a, uh, a timeline for that. Jack Brooke wants to know, what advice would you give someone who wants to write and how to get started? You know, I'd say it's, it's this is uh, advice Brad Thor gave to me, and I morphed it a little bit. And he said, give yourself permission to write a bad chapter. And I thought, wow, that's pretty liberating uh, to have somebody at that level tell me that as I'm starting out. And I think that really, uh, for whatever reason, that helped me. I don't know if it'll help everybody, but it certainly helped me. And I morphed it a little bit to say, give yourself permission to write a bad sentence. Give yourself permission to write a bad paragraph. Give yourself permission to write a bad chapter. Give yourself permission to write a bad book. And then go back and make it great. So I think that for whatever reason, that helped me um, just as far as liberating me a bit and allowing me to not worry so much about uh, a sentence that might not be the best because I can go back and fix it. I'm not making decisions on a battlefield where uh, people to my right and left are depending on me for their very lives. Um, you know what? I can sleep on it. I can go back the next day and I can fix it. And you know what? If it's not great, um, the consequences of it not being great are not people going home in body bags. Um, so yeah, just do the best you can and give yourself permission to, to write a couple bad sentences. That's going to be okay. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first I wanted to tell you a little about Ontex center for protective intelligence in the world of protective intelligence. We know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontex center for protective intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Jack, would you ever consider a lead female character in a series? That's a very good question. Um, and I have considered it, but I haven't spent much time thinking about it yet. Um, and I certainly have strong female characters in my novels, and that just came about uh, very naturally, just because I had strong female role models growing up with my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and uh, their stories about, well, my great-grandmother from World War One through the Great Depression into World War II. Um, so I had all these these stories of people who really had to uh, figure out how to survive during some very tough times in our nation's history. Um, and they were strong. They were strong female role models for me as a kid. And I didn't even think of it in those terms as I started writing, but after I turned it into, and I didn't even think of it after I turned it into Simon and Schuster. But once I went to Simon and Schuster and rode up on the elevator and got off on those floors and started meeting everybody and shaking hands and saying, hi, and thank you. I realized that 
almost everyone I met was female. And uh, it certainly didn't hurt to have strong female uh, characters in my novel, but uh, it wasn't from a Machiavellian perspective. It was certainly natural uh, to include strong female characters in my novels. And I, I like that. But um, so I'm not sure about a strong, a, a, a female protagonist lead character that uh, had her own series type of a thing. Um, one, I don't know if there's time <laughs> with everything I have going on. Uh, but so I, so I think including naturally including strong female characters in, uh, in my novels is probably the way that I'll continue to go. Jack Kelly wants to know, will the Ben Edwards Amazon series be a one-off story or will there be another book release? Ooh, that is a good question. And uh, I'll say to be determined. So we shall see. But I'm so excited about that one because it based on characters, obviously, that I created. But now it is there's not a book that people even if people are fans of the book and then you have the Terminalist show on Amazon, people can still go to that book and say, this is different. This is different. This is different. I hate it. Uh, with a spinoff, there's there's not a threat of that because there's not a book yet about it. So, uh, so we're creating me and it's me and the showrunner from the terminal list. We're co-creating this story together and we were writing it right up until a few days ago when the writer's strike hit and then everybody had to go pencils down on that. I'm writing the finale, uh, episode when we pick pencils back up here, whenever the strike is over, but this is more of an international espionage thriller rather than the terminal list, which was a revenge thriller, uh, action thriller, conspiracy thriller. And this one goes international and it's awesome. I am so excited about this series and starring Taylor Kitsch and Chris Pratt will appear in, uh, in, in some of the episodes and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I couldn't be more excited about it because you're not tied. You don't have that, that any bandwidth worried about, Oh, what will fans of the book think? Because there's not a book. So it's uh, really fun to do. And I've been learning about the screenwriting process, uh, for the last few years here being part of, uh, bringing the terminal list to life on Amazon prime. So it's, uh, it's, it's been so exciting and I cannot wait for this thing. Well, to start filming one and then, uh, then to get this thing out there. Well, you know, Jack, like I've mentioned to you in the past, if you ever need an extra to toss off a roof or anything, uh, just, just give me a shout. You're at the top of the list, Fred, top of the list. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know what to think about that, but uh, I've got another question for you here. Uh, how do you find your subject matter experts in federal law enforcement uh, in order to conduct your research? Uh, luckily, I know a lot of people in uh, both the military intelligence circles, uh, federal law enforcement, local law enforcement. So uh, I have a, I guess, robust Rolodex would be the way, best way to put it. And I don't like to bother anybody. So I'll do all as much research as I possibly can. I don't like to ask somebody if it's something that's easy to look up, like, uh, hey, what does a uh, police officer in uh, Northern Virginia carry? Like, what are, what are they carrying? Uh, if I can look that stuff up, uh, then I do. But uh, and then I'll maybe confirm it with somebody that I know up there. Um, but I try to do as much research as I can without bugging somebody, and then I'll uh, <laughs> and then I'll reach out and bug them. And everybody's been so fantastic about uh, getting back to me on those kinds of questions. Well, I know I've exchanged several message texts with you on uh, the Black September organization. So uh, and you've got uh, quite a list of uh, people in your acknowledgement section from uh, the federal law enforcement community. 
Yes. And it's, uh, especially, especially now, yeah, I just, uh, I have so much respect for everybody that, uh, whether it goes in, that stays in, that adapts to changing times. Um, cause we always have to have to adapt and, and move forward. But, uh, right now things seem particularly dynamic when it comes to, uh, federal law enforcement and everything we have going on in the, the country and in the world. So, but I'm very lucky to have a, yeah, have a, have a robust Rolodex. Cause I want to make sure that, if somebody from that uh, that profession is reading it, they they read it and at least know that I made the effort. Same thing with like the uh, explosive ordinance disposal type stuff in there. I want someone who has spent 20 years, 25 years, 30 years uh, as an EOD person to read the book and go, ah, he did his research here. He put in the effort. He put in the work uh, to get this close, but maybe leave a, one or two things out to make sure that no one blows themselves up in their basement using it as a how-to manual. <laughs> how long do you think James Reese will continue, Jack? That is a very good question, and I don't have a I don't have a timeline in mind. I don't have a a final book in mind. I am certainly um, not against ending the series at the right time. Um, so right now, it's just all about making the next book better than this one, move the genre forward, even if it's just by a degree each time, um, and just improve at my craft. So right now, that's the focus. But uh, you know, in five years, and two years, and 10 years, um, there might be a time when I feel like, you know what? This series, is uh, it, it's run its course, and I'll have no problem bringing it to an end. So, um, uh, so yeah, we'll see. Jack, uh, final question. I would like to know how Jack approaches technology in his writing. Every spy show is a tech story now. Right, right. I want to be very careful about that because I introduced a quantum computer in the last book, In the Blood. I uh, did a ton of research, went way down the rabbit hole on uh, quantum computing, artificial intelligence. Um, and I'd be shocked if what I described in that last novel isn't almost exactly as I portray it. And I did get a few calls from people that said, and texts and messages that said, uh, you got pretty close on that one. So, uh, so that was good. Kind of tongue in cheek type, uh, type messages like that. So, uh, I also was very, uh, cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to use it as a crutch going forward. I didn't want that to be the, uh, the solution to all the problems that the protagonist might run into. Uh, so that was that's kind of the art of it, figuring out how to introduce a quote unquote character like that, even though it's a quantum computer AI and, and not use it as a crutch for everything. Like, uh, you know, talking into your watch and saying, Hey, <laughs> like, like Kit in Knight Rider, Hey Kit, I need you here. Oh, might be. Um, so I, so I had to get creative with that piece, but, um, but yes, there is, is definitely a part of our, our universe right now. It's not a question of could we, or, uh, should we, it's already here and it's already, uh, moving, uh, at, at a rate that's, uh, a few years ago, we couldn't have even imagined if you were just a citizen, not in that space. So it's here and now it's about figuring out how to, how to live with it. Jack, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Oh, I'm just so excited to get this this book out here, there. I'm so excited about those reviews that have dropped, one from The Real Book Spy, one from John Nance over at Town Hall. Um, and uh, I'm just excited to meet everybody on the road who comes out for a book tour because that's a chance to shake hands, look people in the eye, and really say thank you for 
taking a risk on me as a new author and then telling a friend about it, telling a family member about it. And uh, that's really what has made this readership grow. So it is uh, sincerely appreciated. And I sincerely appreciate all your support from day one, from before day one. And, uh, and I'll, I'll never forget it. So, so thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jack. Uh, I knew when I first took a look at the terminal list that uh, you were on to something. And I'm looking forward to seeing you here in Austin, Texas for your upcoming book tour. Oh, awesome. I get to see you. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's going to be, Joe, that's just a, not even a week away here. So, uh, yep, off, off, off we go. And uh, this year I'll have David Brown, on uh, my publicist, with me. So that'll be uh, fun to have him along for this, uh, for this journey. And book tours are just fantastic because it is uh, really one of the only times when you get to shake hands with people and thank them. And that's, uh, that's important to me. So I'll see everybody out there on the road. Thank you so much, Jack. Take care. Thanks for everything. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.org. CO slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.